0: scripture reading for today is James chapter 3 verse 13 through 18. And I'd like to remind you that James was the younger earthly brother of Jesus. And today we're talking about wisdom. And when James was walking around in Nazareth in his house, he was looking at wisdom personified, full view. So Let's go ahead and go to here to James 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, Full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Heavenly Father, use your word to guide and deliver us from every evil. For our Lord Jesus, you are the word of God, you are our Savior. Bless this in Jesus' name. All God's people said.
1: Thank you, Brother Vern, and uh, IBC family. Though I have been back, it is really, really good to be back in the saddle again. So, yeah, thank you. Um, I'm just going to acknowledge the fact: when you're out of the pulpit for a while, the temptation is difficult to resist because there's so many things to say beyond the text. But I'm going to avoid that actually this morning, but I do want to say really just acknowledge two things. First of all, uh, I know that Pastor Tom already kind of highlighted the fact when he was up here uh, that I was back and you guys gave it a rounding applause. This isn't, uh, this isn't um, just humility speaking or anything like that. This is really just putting, giving credit where credit is due. When I'm taking out at the last minute Guess who stepped up? Pastor Tom jumped right in there. And so, Brother Tom, where are you at right now, Roski? He's already—he's an IBC kid. So you know what? I want us to give a round of applause for Pastor Tom. Um, I'm so thankful for our pastoral staff and for the elders and so many of you that yeah, stepped in and uh, on a whim. And I'm so grateful that there wasn't some radical hiccup or anything like that. It's just like, God continued to move powerfully, and it's almost like a great reminder, with or without me, the mission moves forward. With or without any one of us, the mission moves forward. God continues to build his church, and I'm so grateful and just re-encouraged by the fact that he is raising up so many amazing, godly men and women in this family, and uh, thank you all for serving so faithfully. Um, I also want to say a special shout-out to Joel Finman in the back there because early on in my concussion saga, um, he came over speaking from firsthand experience and uh, was instrumental for telling me things that I probably would not have believed or received or accepted otherwise. And so thank you, brother, for just kind of talking to your former self i.e. me, and uh, I really appreciate that. You know, he did say something kind of interesting. He says, Aaron, if I could encourage you in one of many things, he says, try not to think. So I prepared a very thoughtless sermon for us this morning (laughs) in, in honor of what Joel Minman advised me or counseled me to do. So... No, really, though, I really appreciate you, brother. Thank you for coming over multiple times and just telling me, you're not as well as you think you are, even though everything in you says, no, I'm fine. No, you're not. And so thank you for, it's like, you know, parents to their kids, we tell them what they need to hear, not always what they want to hear. And so I appreciate you being willing to serve in that way. I just want to pray for us real quickly here, uh, once again, even though Brother Vern already did that for us. And let's just continue to commission this time here to our Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, right now, our desire, first and foremost, is to hear from you, not from me. It is all about you. And so we just ask, Heavenly Father, that you would superintend over every detail, every word, every thought every noise, every commotion, everything, Father, that you would superintend and that it would all point to one thing, that is the glory of your name. Jesus, our desire right now is to exalt you, to make much of you, and to honor you for not only who you are, but what you have done for us. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would empower me and empower each and every one of us in here. Give us the capacity, the ability to receive what you have for us. May you be honored and may we be encouraged. May we be realigned to your purposes for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, you might have picked up on the fact that when we sang some of the songs that we did prior to me coming up here... Uh, the the message intertwined in these songs kind of coming out wasn't a message of like, rah, rah, ray, life is great, everything's easy, going the way I want it to. Instead, the, the, the songs really depicted much about God is good in the midst of great struggle. God is good even though life right now may be hard. And I think a question that I would like to ask you to just contemplate, not necessarily to blurt out loud unless you really feel the need to, but what is the most difficult or stressful, maybe even hurtful area of your life right now? What, what comes to your mind if I were to ask that question, what is the most difficult, hurtful, stressful Maybe even confusing time in your life, area of your life right now. What comes to your mind? I'm not going to put words or thoughts into your mind. But perhaps what is coming to your mind is relational in nature. Maybe there's a a relationship or a friendship that is difficult for you right now. Maybe on a much more deeper level, maybe it's a, a marital struggle for you. Maybe you're struggling with the fact that there's been an ongoing struggle in your, in your marriage with your spouse, and there seems to be no resolution in sight. Or maybe for some of you, it's not about the ongoing struggle with your spouse, but the struggle of, by the fact that you don't have a spouse. And yet that is something you have longed for for very long. Perhaps the struggle in your life has more to do with your health. Perhaps you just came back from the doctor this week or this month, and although you had your plans, much like I had my plans, had a couple backpacking trips, all these great things, the doctor says, this is what's actually going on. And then everything changes. Perhaps your struggle has more to do with, is more to be a a financial struggle than it is a relational struggle. And you seem to be in a place where, man, I just cannot get ahead and I'm not even abusing my resources. I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying to be as frugal as possible. And yet for some reason, I just feel like I cannot get ahead financially. Maybe for some of you, it's raising teenagers not calling you teenagers out right now because I know how amazing you are but I know there's two perspectives on that perhaps in this room but the struggle you know because they're getting ready to spread their wings and that isn't always an easy process maybe the struggle for you is that you're taking care of an aging parent and that has not proven to be simple or easy Maybe for some of you, it's direction in life, and you're just going, Lord, what is the next step? I don't know what to do next. I'm asking, but there's not a whole lot of, there doesn't seem to be much of a dialogue going on. I'm I'm waiting for you to say something, and I'm just as confused now as I was a month ago when i have been asking the same question. Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, perhaps what comes to mind is not only what is stressful or difficult in your life at this point, but it could be even confusing or difficult to understand. You might be even saying to yourself things like, God, I'm walking with you the best way I can. And I know your will is good, and I know that you are in control of all things, but I don't understand what's going on. I don't know what to do. I'm at a loss as to where to go from here. Well, I'd like to quote something, read something, a quotation for you as you think about that difficult thing in your life or that hurtful situation in your life. I'd like to read this to you in light of what came to your mind. Again, we've been referring to multiple different uh, people that have grappled with the attributes of God this whole series, A.W. Tozer, A.W. Pink, J.I. Packer, to name a few that have really grappled this and have multiple resources that I would highly encourage. Tozer says this in response to perhaps some of those difficult experiences that you have right now. Listen to this. He says to believe actively that our heavenly Father constantly spreads around us providential circumstances that work for our present good and our everlasting well-being brings to the soul a veritable benediction. Most of us go through life praying a little, planning a little, jockeying for position, hoping but never quite certain of anything and always secretly afraid that we will miss the way. This is a tragic waste of truth and never gives rest to the heart. There is a better way. It is to resist relying upon our own wisdom and take instead the infinite wisdom of God. Our insistence upon seeing ahead is natural enough, but it is a real hindrance to our spiritual progress. Listen to this God Himself has charged Himself with full responsibility for our eternal happiness and stands ready to take over the management of our lives the moment we turn in faith to Him. Isn't that glorious? God has charged himself with full responsibility for our eternal happiness and stands ready to take over the management of our lives the moment we turn to him in faith. The point is this, everything that you and I encounter in our lives, whether really good and awesome or extremely difficult and confusing, everything is used by God for your ultimate good and for His glory. I've shared this a long time ago, um, but for those of us who are maybe newer to IBC, I'll I'll share kind of a highlight of it. Um, This is, when I look back on God's work in my life specifically, uh, one particular season of life was that season between semin- after graduating seminary and before my wife and I, Abby, moved here to Port Angeles, Washington. There was about a year and a half season in there, and at first you would think, oh, what did you do in that year and a half? Well, when I first graduated seminary, uh, everything was like, whew, finally got that done, looking forward to a little bit of a break. And then I finally started sending out some applications to uh, potential church job openings, IBC being one of those. And uh, the process was quite surprising, actually. Um, and some of you already know this, but I'll just kind of share it anyways. Uh, I actually wrote <laughs> a year and a half later, prior to us moving to Port Angeles, there's still, I still have three pages in my, my drawer, my left-hand drawer of my office, don't go breaking in, um, but there's three pages that are titled, everything that is ticking me off in life right now. That was the nice way to put it but that's where I was spiritually and mentally at that time or season in life. And why the reason why everything was ticking me off in that time was because I was discouraged with my walk with God. I was discouraged with my ongoing struggle with sin. I was frustrated by some of the people I was working with at the time. I was discouraged by some of my relationships. I was confused as to why God had yet to provide a full-time pastoral position, which is what I was getting at earlier, because I applied to five churches. I was really trying to be very selective, five different churches, IBC being one of them. The first four churches, I began the process, which if you don't know the process of getting a pastoral position, it's not just a a single conversation and then you decide yes or no. It is multiple months, it's like six months of conversations, of interviews, of digital Zooms, of in-person interviews. It's a a marriage of sorts, and you're just going back and forth, and everything's kind of leading up, and you're getting to know people, and they're getting to know you, and everything is transparent, everything's on the table, and then it comes to the point of decision, and you hear this, Aaron, thank you so much. This has been a rich, rich process but you know, there's that big but. But we went with the other guy. There's nothing like being the runner-up to kind of instill a lot of self-esteem, right? Runner-up four times in a row and go. Maybe I misheard God's calling in my life. Maybe maybe I'm not actually called to be a pastor. Maybe I'm you know maybe I, I need to rethink this altogether. Of course. The irony, of all irony, is Abby and I just finished uh, the the Rose Bowl game and stuff. I was her assistant for some of those games, and we were up on the central coast of California, and, uh, and we're sitting there literally having coffee, literally talking about this whole scenario, going, maybe we just move to Pasadena, I'll be a house husband, I'll volunteer in a church somewhere, you stay at the Rose Bowl, it's all good. You know what? If this is what God wants, that is okay. Buzz, 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 what is that? hey, my name's Mike Jones. Who? <laughs> and the rest is history. You see, a, Port Angeles, Washington was just a, a, a point on the map for a long time. Yet God in his wisdom and in his way through a series of humbling conversations and humbling circumstances brought us here eventually. And for that I know we are extremely grateful. The point I'm getting at is this. God's timing and God's ways are good. We just sang about that. God, you are so good. It's always a question, do I really believe that? Because oftentimes we will emphatically say, God is so good when everything seems to be good. But do we emphatically say that? God, you are so good when everything in my life right now is so confusing and so out of control, are you still good, God? And what Scripture keeps bringing us back over and over and time and time again is that God is good and His ways are good, and they're good because God's wisdom is perfect. And the reason why God's wisdom is perfect is because God's wisdom is is infinite. It is unlimited. In other words, God always makes the wisest decision on our behalf all the time. He never needs a redo. I don't know if you've ever observed this or not, but if you look at the the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, if you ever read through there, there's kind of an interesting observation that you'll, maybe you've not noticed, maybe you have noticed, I don't know. But have you ever noticed that when you read through the Gospels, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, Jesus never apologized? You know, our life is defined by constant apology, or at least it should be. We have a need to constantly apologize for something that we didn't do quite right, or you know what, knowing what I know now, here's what I would have said or done differently, right? This is how we live in a, this kind of real time, linear time and space. We have the need to apologize because we're like, well, that was a mistake, but now I know. And we learn from our mistakes. But Jesus never had to apologize. It's interesting. Jesus never had to say, sorry, guys, I, I misjudged the audience. I thought they would react to my message a whole lot better. My bad. Or or they never had to say, Mary and Martha, I was trying to get to you, but all the needs were in front of me, so I I had good intentions, but I'm sorry. Or he didn't have to say to his disciples, hey guys, I'm sorry for sending you out on a boat when the weather forecast was pretty bleak at best. My bad, I should have read the signs of the times better. Or... I'm sorry, Pharisees, I didn't mean to offend you. Um, I think there's a misunderstanding between us. Maybe we can sit down and talk about this. Jesus never apologized in his ministry because everything he did and everything he said or taught was in perfect alignment with his Father in heaven. It's why he re- re- removed himself so often to the wilderness or to a quiet place was to be with his father. So everything he did and everything he said was in perfect accord with his father in heaven. Jesus not only impressed people at a young age with his wisdom, right? You remember in the temple when... You know, Joseph and Mary couldn't find him and he's, he's stuck in the temple talking to all the wise men in there and they're just so impressed by a 12-year-old uh, expressing the things that he is. But we see that the wisdom of Jesus is not only by what he said or how he impressed people, but we see that Scripture teaches us that Jesus is wisdom incarnate. He is wisdom clothed in a human body question for us this morning, I believe, is, as we've been doing through this series, is defining what is this attribute mean? What does this attribute mean? So, this morning, we're going to describe, well, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? And there no doubt, all of us could probably, if we were to open it up, which I will not do, uh, because who knows what will happen at that point, um, but we all have probably different perspectives as to what wisdom is as well as who you and I might consider a wise person, right? It's possible that many of us in here might think that uh, really smart people or those who have photographic memories or those who are able to recall all kinds of information or recall facts about any number of things or any given topic, we might say those are really wise people, right? but that's actually not true because wisdom is distinct from what we also might refer to as understanding and knowledge. Wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. It is not IQ. It is not intelligence. It's not how well you do on a test. It's not whether or not you graduated from med school or not. It is not it's not how much scripture you can memorize and quote from memory. It's, that's not what wisdom is. In other words, wisdom is distinct from knowledge and understanding. Let me just briefly describe what those distinctions are. Knowledge, for example, knowledge can be understood as the facts. People with knowledge are able to collect, are able to to remember and recall all kinds or have access to all kinds of information. We refer to them as people with a high IQ, an intelligence quota. Uh, These are the people that win Jeopardy or at least sit at the on the other side of the TV and have lots of answers. That is not me. You know, my brain only holds on to what it needs to hold on to, not facts that don't have any practical or tangible effect in my life. But some people can just remember everything, and their brain is able to recall everything. Though That would be referred to as knowledge or knowledgeable people. Now, understanding is a little different in that understanding is the ability to translate meaning from facts. It's the ability to comprehend information. You see, people with understanding are able to conclude why certain facts are important to life. So, for example, recalling Scripture verses from memory is knowledge. But knowing what these verses mean in their context is understanding. You know, you can spout out scripture all you want, but that doesn't mean you know what it says in its context. And so understanding comes into, like, and this is not only what scripture says, but this is what it means in its appropriate context. Now, wisdom is a little bit different. Wisdom is applied knowledge, it is the ability to know what to do next in any given circumstance. In other words, wise people know. Which action to take at any moment? They do the right thing in any given situation. It's probably always appropriate, maybe not, this is my personal preference, but always, always appropriate to quote a little Spurgeon here, right at this point. Spurgeon gives us a little bit of a. a, a is it up there? It's not working right now. There we go. He gives us a little definition as to what wisdom is. He says, Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is to not be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. I think Spurgeon was the original Mr. T or something, if you know what that means. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. Wisdom. Here's the reality that applies to each of us in here. No matter how much you have learned in life, no matter how much knowledge you have acquired in life, no matter how much you have studied or how, how what school you graduated from, no matter how many letters or initials you have after your name, no matter how much human wisdom or streetwise smarts you have, in the end, you will always be limited in your wisdom. Why? Because you cannot see everything. And therefore, you cannot know everything. We cannot see all the complexities that surround every decision we make in our lives. And because we cannot be aware of everything that surrounds every decision we make, we cannot, therefore, make the wisest decision at all times. We can act on what we do know, but we don't know everything And so we, by nature, by definition, are limited in our wisdom. And yet this is why the wisdom of God is so amazing and, I believe, so reassuring. We can talk about wisdom in general, but then we need to get to this point. What is godly wisdom? I think godly wisdom is a wisdom, and this is given to us again by A.W. Tozer. He says this, Godly wisdom is a wisdom in which God brings about the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people in the best possible way. Let's just sink in a second. Godly wisdom brings about the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people in the best possible way. Tozer goes on to say this. He says, wisdom, among other things, is the the ability to to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning. So there can be no need to guess or, or conjecture, which conjecture means to form a conclusion based off incomplete information. All God's acts are done in perfect wisdom, first for his own glory and then for our highest good or for the greatest number of people for the longest time. Not only could his acts not be better done, but a better way to do them could not be imagined. It resonates with what Paul the Apostle writes in Romans chapter 11 when he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. The point here is that God's wisdom, when we think about the attribute associated with God, that being of wisdom, God's wisdom is a wisdom unlike any human wisdom can muster, any kind of earthly wisdom. Our wisdom is limited and therefore not perfect. It's always nearsighted, yet God's wisdom is infinite. It is unlimited and it is in perfect concert with his perfect character. I think an important question that we need to at least ask, if you're not already asking, it, is how do I know godly wisdom? If, God is, if this is who God's, God is and this is what his wisdom is like, how do I understand it? Even though it's incomprehensible, how can I understand it at least to some degree or to some depth? How has God revealed his wisdom to us? Well, there's a lot of things that I can include here, and I will not do so for the sake of time, but I'm really just opening the door. As it's been said multiple times throughout this series, we're literally scratching the surface of these attributes. And so I'm literally just opening the door that you can walk in and bask in all these various attributes. There's not time enough, let alone I don't have the mind enough to really grapple with it exhaustively. But let me just say a couple of things. God has revealed to his wisdom to us, first of all, through creation. That song we, we just sang, indescribable, right? Even the backdrop showing the Milky Way and the galaxies and the stars, things that we're like, we know they're in the sky, but we've never been face-to-face or had a, much of a close-up. I mean, you can go on NASA, you nasa.com know, or something, or you can, you can Google some stuff, and people have taken some incredible photography, but in the end, that in and of itself scratches the surface and the depths and the magnitude of God's creation. We see that creation itself displays the wisdom of God. In other words, creation is not a fortunate accident, as some might suggest, but it is intricately designed. What does David say in Psalm 19? The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak, and night after night, they make him known. So, God, in his wisdom, says, I'm just going to give you a little sample, a little taste. Look at the skies. Look at my creation. Look how complex everything is. This is just but a taste of my wisdom, my infinite wisdom. A second way that God reveals his wisdom to us is also through redemption. You see, the way God determined to save people from their sin and, and promise them eternal life has not only confused but also frustrated people for thousands of years, many to the point of unbelief. Listen to what Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He poses these rhetorical questions. which is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What I'm getting at here is that God has revealed his wisdom through his redemptive process. The way in which God has chosen to save the human race from this cancer called sin shows or reveals the wisdom of God. In other words, it's not up to us to decide how we are gonna relate to God. It's not up to us to decide how we are going to reconcile relationship with God. It is up to us to fall on our knees in gratitude and in faith, saying, God, you have provided a way. And he provided that way ultimately through the person of Jesus Christ. A few verses later, Paul says, As God has united you with Christ Jesus, for our benefit God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Notice how this is described how much did you do to save you? What part of you, where are you saving yourself in this particular verse? And what part is God acting on your behalf? God is doing everything. He literally is doing everything. It doesn't mean that we don't have a response. It doesn't mean that there isn't a part that we play. The part we play has nothing to do with us earning any kind of salvation. It has everything to do with receiving what is offered to us freely and saying yes by faith. What is faith? Trust. It is belief that what God says is true is in fact true. Believing that Jesus is the only way to be reconciled With God. It's believing that your sins are truly forgiven, not by what you do, but what Christ has already accomplished on the cross. I think it's an appropriate time to celebrate and to observe the Lord's Supper together right now. The fact is, brothers and sisters, God has revealed by His infinite wisdom this glorious, redemptive rescue mission that culminated or climaxed through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes on the scene, wisdom from God, not just another random person, but came, and as Scripture says, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You remember that old classic hymn, right? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is quicksand or shaky sand and basically not stable. Jesus alone is what redeems and reconciles and restores us into right relationship with God. And you know what? It's not something he did begrudgingly. It's not something he did because his father made him do it. He says, I came on my own initiative, my own will. Yes, the father sent me, but I came on my own initiative to save you from your sins. Jesus loves you that much. He gave his life for you, and our response is to say thank you. It's just to say thank you. Lord, thank you for saving me for myself. Lord, thank you and remembering what He has done. You see, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the point of reference we are continually coming back to is what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Father in heaven, we just thank you that you loved us enough. You saw your world, you created this world, you loved your creation, and yet sin caused all kinds of havoc, it corrupted everything, but you did not stand idly by or passively by, you did not come look at us from a distance and go, you know what, whatever with you. Instead of starting over, you said, I am going to redeem, I'm going to make all things new, and I'm going to take personal responsibility so that the creation, that which I love, can be restored into perfect fellowship. Thank you, Jesus, for your obedience to the cross. Thank you for being the wisdom of God, not just in what you taught, but the life in which you lived. We celebrate you this morning. In Jesus' name. Brothers and sisters, one other point I want to make before I wrap it up here. God has revealed his wisdom through creation. He has revealed his wisdom through redemption, specifically redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. But one other thing, or one other truth that I think is very important, and it kind of highlights or points back to the question I asked at the very beginning. God has revealed his wisdom through this theological term called providence. Providence basically means that God works through every aspect of our lives for His eternal purposes and for our eternal good. On a macro scale, we see in Psalm 33, for example, that the Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and thwarts all the schemes. The Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. But on a more personal level, we read verses uh, like Romans 8.28, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Some of us don't actually like that verse. We all know the verse, but sometimes we don't like that verse because it doesn't promise the alleviation or the removal of suffering in the moment that we want it. It promises that God will not waste our suffering and will cause it for our own benefit and for our own good, ultimately. You know, I think one of the greatest biblical illustrations behind eight, Romans 8.28 is seen through the life and all the events in Joseph's life. You might recall that story, right? Joseph, the coat of many colors, right? He's the, kind of the runt of the family at the time. All the older brothers are out in the fields, Joseph has some divine downloads from God, doesn't understand these dreams that he has, has no problem sharing with his brothers what he's dreaming, uh, much like younger people like to do. They just share what they think. And uh, that doesn't go over so well. Thankfully, Judah has enough, uh, enough um, stamina among the group to uh, say, I'm not gonna, we're not going to kill him, but we're going to trade him out. Long story short, Joseph has a rocky, rocky history. One trouble after another, another trouble, and even though he does the right thing, it does not result in blessing. It's more Ecclesiastes than it is Proverbs. It's like, I'm doing the right thing, and yet everything seems to be falling apart. I thought if I do the right thing, then blessing was to follow, and that's not always the case. And yet we see through his life that it was the wisdom of God that ultimately brought him to Egypt so that he would save all the people, including his own family. Listen to what he says in in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In other words from a nearsighted perspective, things went from bad to worse for Joseph, but eventually God gave him a break. But really from God's perspective, he was orchestrating every detail even through the evil actions and evil decisions of people to bring Joseph to a place in that he would ultimately save his own family. Once again, remember the definition of godly wisdom. God brings about the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people in the best possible way. Let me close in this way and uh, that might be a good cue for the, the guys to come back up here and get ready. J.I. Packer, who I mentioned earlier in the service, um, he said something I think very profound, encouraging, but also just soberingly honest. He says this, God's almighty wisdom is always active and never fails. All his works of creation and providence and grace display it, and until we can see it in them, we we just are not seeing them straight. But we cannot recognize God's wisdom unless we know the end from which he is working. God's wisdom is not and never was pledged to keep a fallen world happy or to make ungodliness comfortable. Not even to Christians has he promised a trouble-free life, rather the reverse. He has other ends in view for life in this world than simply to make it easy for everyone. What is he after then? What is his goal? What is his aim? He plans that a great host of mankind should come to love and honor him. His ultimate objective is to bring them to a state in which they please him entirely and praise him adequately. A state in which he is in, in is all in them, in, in all to them, and he and they rejoice continually in the knowledge of each other's love. Men rejoicing in the saving love of God, set upon Them from all eternity, and God rejoicing in the responsive love of men drawn out of them by grace through the gospel. You see, one of the struggles that you and I will grapple with in our lives is trusting the wisdom of God, trusting in the ways of God, trusting in the timing of God, trusting in the provision of God. Perhaps some of us in here have even said very recently, God, why haven't you provided? For me, something that I've been praying for so diligently. God, why have you not allowed me to go through this? Why have you allowed me to go through this very difficult season of life? God, why haven't you revealed what you want me to do next? God, I don't understand what's going on. What are you up to? But unless we accept God's ultimate purpose for our lives and trust in his infinite wisdom on our behalf, We will be constantly frustrated and disillusioned in life. May even begin to grow angry toward God. In other words, if our ultimate aim is not, God, make me more like you. If our ultimate goal in life is not, God, glorify yourself through me. God, do with me however you deem fit because I am your servant, then you will be discouraged and disheartened when things don't go the way you had planned or hoped. We must understand that God is doing things that we cannot see, let alone fully understand. What does James 1 tell us? Count it all joy. How many of us are in the practice of counting it all joy when we endure trials and struggles of various kinds? How many of you are jumping up and down for joy when you're like, life is really hard? Yippee skippy. Thank you, Lord. May I have another? Not, that's not usually our normal or instinctive default reaction, right? It's kind of like, what's going on, Lord? Why is this happening? Please make it stop sooner than later. But again, what is God's goal for us as his children? to make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, the, 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 the frustration is, if our goal for us is the opposite of that, then we will be frustrated when things outside of our control tend to unfold. God, I don't, I don't want to suffer. I want my comfort. I don't want to go through this. And yet, let me ask you, as a way of closing, will you trust God's wisdom and his ways completely, even if you don't understand them? Will you believe what Scripture says, that God's love for you is beyond your understanding? Will you trust in the one who is working all things together for the good of those who love him? Will you trust in the one who brings about the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people in the best possible way? Will you trust the one who is in his providence declares he is for you? And will you worship him as you wait patiently for him to answer your prayer?